She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season three. Episode two. Paperclip. This episode originally aired on September 29th, 1995, and it was written by Chris Carter. In it, while Scully and Skinner face off with guns in Mulder's apartment, Mulder arrives, also with a gun, and is determined to find the truth. Skinner has the dat tape that the cigarette smoking man is after, and Mulder tells him to protect it while he and Scully search for the answers about the conspiracy they've started to uncover. However, they soon find out that the men behind the conspiracy Still want them both dead. Who would have figured? Yeah, it doesn't seem like that's going to be easy to change there. So No. Once people running an international conspiracy to hide the existence of extraterrestrials and their own profit from it and secret experiments, they're probably not going to go back to wanting you not dead. Although, yeah, well, people might change their mind. Yeah, yeah. Maybe people would be like, convinced. you know, now that we think about it, this is dumb. Why are we doing this? It's a lot of work. And we're not that good at it. So maybe no. we should stop. <laughs> they're, not, they're not good at it anyway. Yeah. It was filmed in Britannia Beach, Vancouver, and North Vancouver, British Columbia. And it was directed by Rob Bowman. It had a viewership of 17.2 million, which is down 2.74 million from the last episode, but still up 600,000 from the season two finale. Although also 600,000 fewer than season two's highest viewed episode, which was Fresh Bones. And we hmm. said it before, ratings are weird. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. So we open with another previously on the X-Files, although it doesn't sound as cool as me saying it. It was just, just kind of like previously on the X-Files. No, you anyway. sound really cool. They should have used you. Man. Yeah. I, you know, if they want me to like do voiceover for the new <laughs> DVDs or something, I will take that fat paycheck. It's apparently a good gig if you can get it. Anyway, so the recap includes... Scenes from Anasazi, which are the alien mummy, the thinker, Mulder in the train with the pile of alien mummies, the cigarette smoking man saying, burn it, and then it burning. And then also includes scene from The Blessing Way, last episode. And that has Scully telling Skinner that Mulder is dead. Skinner telling Scully that she's been relieved of her duty. Scully being pushed up against her car and frisked by the soldiers in the helicopter. The poor alienoid people being gassed. Mulder's dream of Deep Throat telling him to, like, fight the monsters. And then possibly, like, the production assistant firing the gun that shoots Melissa. And then Melissa laying on the ground bleeding and someone putting the gun next to her. And the well-manicured man warning Scully how someone is that she trusts may try to kill her. And then, whew, a lot of scenes from Blessing <laughs> this one. Finally... Scully and Skinner facing off with guns in Mulder's apartment, which we mentioned in the beginning. So, yep. yeah. Which is where it left off. And then we got yeah. TV continued. And then we come back and then we get Albert's voiceover over the scene of a hazy mesa. And he tells it to the Navajo, the earth and its creatures have great influence over our existence. Animals like the bear, spider, and coyote are powerful symbols to their people. When Mulder was cured by the holy people, it reminded them of the story of the Gila monster, who symbolizes the healing powers of the medicine man. I want to have because he's the Gila monster, so he's like the Gila. Is that how you say that? I always pronounced it Gila monster, but I've I'm always heard it Gila. Wrong. 
you're probably right. I've probably just been, it's one of those words where I've read it my whole life and I probably haven't heard it said a lot. So I just read it as Gila. That's what happens when you read a lot. You don't understand how words, I have a lot of words I pronounce wrong all the time. Yeah. I don't know. I never heard anybody say them. That's so, a great so. joke in the movie Megamind. If you've ever seen that movie, it's really good. It's better than I, it's way better than I ever expected it to be. But the <laughs> like main villain is just like really well read. And so he always pronounces words wrong because he doesn't talk to people. He just like reads. And so it's, it's great. Cause he did. I relate to that deeply. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So anyway, the Gila monster restores a man by taking all the parts of his body Apparently, he's been, like, taken apart and cut into pieces or something and putting him back together. His blood is gathered by the ants and his eyes and ears by the sun and his mind by talking God and pollen boy. And there's lightning and thunder and they bring the man back to life. And then we see shots of, like, the landscape and there's bears and there's mesas and there's sky. And then we get some cool images of lightning. And thunder, because thunder is what makes the noise. Anyway, so Albert tells us that after Mulder was healed, they heard from other native peoples in the Great Plains to the north that a great event had taken place. And he tells us that there's another indigenous legend about a woman who came down from the heavens and taught people to live virtuous lives before she turned into a white buffalo and ascended into the clouds. And then on screen, we see this truck driving up to a barn. And then inside, there's a little white buffalo calf that was born. And Albert says, on the day that Mulder was healed, a white buffalo was born. And every Native American knew that it was a powerful omen. And changes were coming. And then we get the theme song. Yeah. So I don't know if it was just my television, but the scene was so dark. Like, I couldn't tell if the buffalo was actually white. Like, no, I I could barely see it. I think it was intentionally dark because they didn't like a white buffalo is rare and i'm going to get into that in a little bit but i really doubt like well i know that they didn't coincidentally come across like a white buffalo that was born so they couldn't film it and i'm pretty sure no one would agree to let them i don't know what maybe paint a calf white because you know they probably asked someone to do that and they were like no and so they have like the Jesus is born in a manger lighting instead that like they shine a bright light on it to make it look like it's white. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It was white. it was probably just a yeah, probably calf. Wasn't. it may have it may have not even been a buffalo calf. I don't know. But so, yeah, we do either. see the head of a buffalo in the scene, but I don't even know if that was a real buffalo or if it was just prop. So according to the National Bison Association, white buffaloes only occur in approximately one out of every 10 million births. Which is why it's such a thing, right? It's a big yeah, deal. Fair, yeah. They have become more frequent recently, however, because people are actually breeding them to get white buffaloes because people just can't help but basically ruin everything. So anyway, we did talk last time about how Chris Carter was invited to a Navajo ceremony by some Navajo elders because like of things that happened in Anasazi are like hey you want to come learn how we actually do things so maybe you could like portray us properly and he was in a big ceremony last like eight hours and he complained about how his we didn't complain but he kind of joked in some interviews about how like his legs fell asleep and that kind of stuff but anyway it was the whole point was that he was going to learn their actual practices and that he said it had a lasting effect on him until he read an article about the birth of a white buffalo in some magazine or something and he decided that he wanted to incorporate that into this episode by using like a completely different native american belief to turn Mulder into the white messiah basically so I'm sure the Navajo elders were super happy about inviting him after that but 
<laughs> Super cool. Um, assuming the story's true, that that's what actually had. He read he read an article. It had to be an older article because there aren't any recorded births of white buffaloes in 1995. There was one in August of 1994, and then there were three in 1996, which obviously couldn't have affected this episode because it was in 1995. Um, one of the ones in 1996 was actually a verified true albino, which is super rare. There are roughly four types of white buffaloes, and going from the most rare to the least rare, there is the true albino. Then there's one that I believe is, I'm not sure how you pronounce this, I think it's leukistic, which is like a partial albino. So it has like true like white fur and everything, but it actually has blue eyes instead of the pink eyes that usually like true albinos have. So it's kind of like, I think it has like, it doesn't have all the genetics for being albino. It's got like partial, so it's kind of like partial albino. It's not like a really technical term, but that's what it is sort of. Then there are also calves that have a genetic condition that cause the fur at birth to be white, but then they usually turn brown like a year or two later. So they become regular ones. And then there are what are called beefaloes mm -hmm. which is actually a term and that is a bison cattle hybrid yeah. and they get their white coloration from the cattle dna yeah. so. you can buy beefalo meat i've had it i bought it oh. i used to buy it a lot because it's lower in cholesterol and so it's kind of like uh it's like you know hamburger meat but then it's yeah. you can buy I mean, you can also too, just buy but... you can also just buy bison meat too so yeah i'm not a big fan of bison meat because it's too gamey so like the oh. beefalo is kind of like a good mixture where it's lower in cholesterol and better for you but like Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they sell it at some stores. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's a thing. Coincidentally, we recently watched a Scooby-Doo episode for our X-Files adjacent Patreon podcast that had a villain who dressed as an Indian witch doctor, and he wore a mask that was in part consisted of like a white buffalo head. So that's also super cool. So like, you know, not to just dig on Chris Carter. like. No, Chris Carter's not yeah. the only one who... Engaged yeah. in some pretty terrible it was just like, stereotypes and appropriation. After all the stories in Blessing Way about like how, oh, after Anasazi, he went and met with the Navajo well, elders and he was in a, and then like right after that, he like then does something else. It's like, well, I mean, yeah. So like he yeah. went on one day trip with the Navajo to learn know, about some of their but, culture. He's not going to become a perfect. No. You know, and I don't you know. He, tr he made an effort. That's great. Obviously. Totally and honestly, the whole Buffalo thing could have been totally like they talk about it in the beginning. And then there's a little segment that Albert mentions later. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't need to be there. That but... doesn't even really relate to Mulder, honestly. And no, then it's like. They're it just keeping up the thing that Chris Carter has going from the blessing way. And like, I don't know, they gave Albert more lines. I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Although, wow, say, I mean, like, I don't know. Just some of the, the way they make Albert talk, it's just kind of, it's always. I like, know. You know like yeah. Whole, it is, like, it's like very. We say, we say he says Mulder, and if he says Scully, we say he says Scully. He doesn't say Mulder and Scully. He always says the FBI man, the FBI woman, the FBI woman's sister. It's, yeah, it's just, yeah. anyway. It's yeah, it's cool. definitely very, like, wise, indigenous, you know, that kind of stereotype yeah. of, It's like... Native American dialogue written by a white person. Exactly, yeah. 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 And it's, yeah, not great, so. Yeah. Anyway, so then we're in Mulder's apartment. And for some reason, like, even though we just got the last episode on and we actually saw this scene, they replay some of the part of Skinner telling Scully he has the dat tape and her accusing him of lying. I don't know why they bothered replaying that. It's the whole piece. It's just like. Yeah. And it's it's and we just saw it in the last week on and you saw it last week. So it's weird that they put it back in there. But anyway, they did. 
And so then they see the shadow under Mulder's door and Skinner pulls his gun. And so then they're on a standoff, which is, you know, everything that happened last week. And Skinner demands that Scully drop her weapon. And she's like, no way. And so they shout and she's like, you're setting me up. And he insists he's trying to help. And she tells him to drop his gun and he refuses. And then Mulder bursts in with his gun and he's yelling, drop your weapons. And Skinner turns his gun on Mulder, but Scully keeps her gun on Skinner. So now we're in a real sticky standoff situation. And Skinner asks what he's pulling. And Mulder asks Scully if she's okay. And she says, yeah. And Mulder forces Skinner to hand his gun over to Scully, which he finally reluctantly does. And once she has it, Mulder asks for an explanation. And Scully says that she was warned someone she trusted would kill her. And Skinner looks very like, what the heck? Like, where are you getting this? And also, why would I do that? And he tells Mulder that he's going to reach into his coat pocket and end this charade. And so then Skinner like slowly reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the dat tape and he shows it to them. And he says, now I want an explanation. So the Mulder's like, your cigarette smoking friend killed my father for that tape. And then he killed me. I was a dead man. And now I'm back. And that is like verbatim what he says. Just mm-hmm. anyway. A little melodramatic Mulder. A little yeah. Melodramatic. <laughs> yeah. So then Skinner asks what's on the tape. And Mulder tells him Defense Department files that weren't supposed to exist, proof of the government's involvement in a conspiracy to hide, the proof of extraterrestrial life. And Scully still has her gun on Skinner, and she's like, give me the tape. And he's like, no. And Mulder, who's also holding the gun on Skinner, says, give her the tape. And Skinner's like, no, (laughs) it won't do any of us any good if that tape falls back into the hands of people who are willing to kill to get rid of it. So then Mulder's like, well, make sure it doesn't. And then he lowers his gun. And then he tells Scully, let's go. And she's like, where? And he's like, there are truths that aren't on that tape. And then he leaves the apartment and Scully kind of like glares at Skinner and then leaves his gun on the table and follows Mulder out. Yeah. Mitch Pelegi is great in this whole episode, but this scene especially, he has a lot of like really great what the heck, what the crap faces. And he does a really good job of like, selling the total confusion so i just i really love him and the scene he did a really well, great and job they make it easy for him to stand out honestly so so out in the hall Mulder hits the elevator call button and scully smiles at Mulder, and she tells him that she went to his father's funeral and she told his mother that he'd be okay and he asks how she knew and she says i just knew and the elevator opens and they both get in so i did <laughs> has skinner ever been to Mulder's apartment when he hasn't had a gun pulled on him i don't think so I don't think so. No, he's and he's had a gun pulled on him, or he's had a gun pulled on him and gotten beat up. Or, yeah, and, or he beat and, someone and up did in some, the elevator and done yeah. some beating up too. So yeah. yeah, but yeah, I don't think he's ever. I don't think we've ever actually seen him at Mulder's apartment where he doesn't have a gun pulled on him. I mean, maybe he comes so. over on Sundays for football because they, like, there's beer. the thing. Because well, because we there's when he which episode was it when when Mulder's in the dark and Skinner walks in and oh, Mulder's is got that a gun one on breath? Him. That's one breath, I think. I don't remember, but there's that one. And then obviously there's, is it Endgame or is it Calm? Yeah, I forget which one it is actually where it happens, where X is like, oh, he thinks it's Mulder calling him, but it's Scully. Yeah. So he leaves and then Skinner's in the elevator and they fight the elevator and then Skinner comes in. So, and then there's this one. So I think it's only the three times, but all three times, because X pulls the gun on him in the elevator. And then he's like, if you pull that trigger, you'll kill the lives of two men. Because then Mulder will die too. So, yeah. 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 So Margaret Scully arrives at the hospital and she stops the doctor and is like, 
my daughter was brought in and she gives the name of Dana Scully because she obviously thinks that Dana was shot, right? It was like someone in Dana's apartment. So she thinks it's Dana Scully who's been shot. Also, he's like, Dana Scully's way more likely to get shot because she's an FBI agent. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And the doctor's like, Melissa Scully? And Margaret's like, uh, no, Melissa's her sister. And the doctor's like, well, we just had a Melissa Scully in a surgery for a cranial gunshot wound. And Margaret, like, is just like stunned. And she, like, kind of like shakes her head, but she's just like, you know what's going on. And then we see a hospital bed, and there's a woman with her head all wrapped up, and she's got a ventilator on. And there's a nurse next to her on the bed, writing in the clipboard. And so, like, Margaret Scully walks up, and she's kind of like just stands there for a minute, looking at the bed. And then she's like, Missy, it's mom. And the doctor tells her they had to induce a coma to try and take the to try to relieve the pressure off Melissa's brain. And so uh, Mrs. Scully asks if she's going to be okay. And the doctor tells her they've done everything they can for now. And then he's like, nurse, can we get a comfortable chair for Mrs. Scully to sit in? Because obviously she's staying for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. And I know we mentioned this before. I don't remember if we mentioned on the podcast or it was just us talking. But like, it was just us talking. Oh, okay. Well, like yeah. Margaret Scully is having a rough couple of years. Like yeah. her husband passed away and then Scully went missing and was been in the hospital and probably going to die. And now Melissa's been shot and she's at the hospital and she looks like haggard and terrified and just like totally devastated. And she does a really good job. But like, yeah, that character has just been through a lot. Yeah. And it wasn't that way for us, but for her, like Scully was gone like for th- what three, four months. Yeah. So not knowing whether her daughter is alive or dead. And then actually came to the realization she was dead. Remember they were doing the tombstone. And then when we get the news that like they found her and she's in the hospital. So, yeah. Yeah. And then the doctor looks vaguely like Crycheck. Maybe this is just me not being so white guy. White guy blindness. <laughs> but like, and it was only vaguely like, but it was just like for a split second, I thought maybe he was like there to finish the job. And then I realized that like Crycheck is not that good at his job though, to like dress as a doctor and show up to like finish it. Plus it's not the right person. So why would he be there anyway? But yeah, for like a split second, I was like, oh, Crycheck's in the doctor. If it's not him, different guy. Well, I imagine you would assume that Scully would come to visit her sister. And so if that's you true. Kill yeah. Scully. Then you would wait at the hospital. So yeah. Yeah. The doctor did look really familiar. I forgot. I was gonna. I don't know if he actually got credited or not. I didn't look in the credits to see if he was credited. He looked familiar to me, but I didn't like put in the effort to see like if it was. I mean, he's probably just someone who's been like in a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's that guy. Or he looks like someone enough that I was like, he looks like that guy. So but he did kind of look familiar to me. Yeah, didn't look like Crycheck though, but did look familiar. <laughs> to me. So Mulder and Scully are with the lone gunman, and Byers is examining a photo with a magnifying glass. And Mulder points out his father in the photo and says it was taken in 1973. And Byers is impressed and tells Langley to look. And Scully asks if he recognizes any of the men. And Byers asks if either of them are familiar with a post-World War II project called Operation Paperclip. And Mulder says it was our deal with the devil. The U.S. provided safe haven for certain Nazi war criminals in exchange for their scientific knowledge. And Langley says the man next to Bill Mulder in the photo is Victor Klemper, whom Bayer tells us is one of those criminals and the most evil Nazi to escape the Nuremberg trials. <sighs> yeah. So I mean, last episode, Mulder told us via his mother when he yelled at her after his dad's funeral 
that the photo was taken in 1972. Now he's saying it's taken in 1973. Mm. Anyway. Um, die and come back to life. <laughs> and then Victor Klemper <laughs> is not a real person. No, so probably that a, makes he's sense. A, he's a made of Nazi. So. Yeah. yeah. Which would make sense given the plot of the show. Yeah. So Scully asks what he did. And Langley says he did horrible experiments on Jewish people. He put them in pressure chambers. He drowned them. All sorts of awful things in the name of science. And he says it really derisively, too. Like, you know, obviously. And Byer says some of his expertise was used to help us win the space race. And Langley makes a snide comment about one giant step for mankind. Because obviously, you know, not a great way to get there. And Scully asks what he'd be doing in a photo with Mulder's father. And Mulder doesn't know. And he asks if they recognize anyone else in the photo. And Langley shakes his head. And Byer says Operation Paperclip was supposedly scrapped in the 1950s. But if this photo was taken in 1973 and Scully asks what happened to Klemper and Langley says he's still here and he's still living well at the expense of the American taxpayer. <sighs> Gross. I mean, obviously, not, not Langley. Just I'm guessing that Mulder and Scully recognize the cigarette smoking man who's on yeah. the other side of his dad. And then they would obviously recognize Deep Throat as well. Yes. So, and then Scully might recognize the well manicured man, but I don't know. So, yeah, but they don't have names for them either. So they might want to know if right. yeah. these guys can name them. <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> you might not know their name, but you'd be like, I've seen this, you know, I don't know, maybe, or maybe they just want names. I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, then Frohookie comes in and he runs over the molder. He's like, We thought you were history. And he gives him a hug. And then, Mulder's like, oh, you're going to have to wait a little longer for my video collection. And then Langley's like, where were you, dude? We're looking all over for you. And he says, I went to the hospital after I heard about a shooting on the police scanner. And then he takes his hat off and he's like, Scully, sorry to say that your sister is in critical condition. And so Scully immediately turns and starts to leave. So, yeah. And I just have a note here that Mulder and Frohickey both heart boobs. Yeah. Both heart boobs. It's awful to say but I kind of can't help but think that Frohickey was probably at least partially relieved to find out that it wasn't Dana Scully who had been shot in Dana Scully's apartment. Well, yeah. So. And especially because, like, not only does he have a crush on her, but even that aside, like, he knows her. He's interacted with her. Yeah. And Mulder, at this point, he thought Mulder was dead, too. So I imagine, like, that's doubly devastating. And then it turns out that it's Scully's sister whom he doesn't know. And so, like, that still sucks. But, like... And it was it was pretty sweet though the way he like delivered the news to Scully like he obviously looked really pained having to say it so I thought that was good. Yeah. I just had to take it dark. Yeah, I mean it is. It's it's not good when anybody gets shot to the head. Like not a good thing. I won't get into that. So Mulder chases Scully down the steps of the building and he grabs her shoulder and she tells him she has to go there. The bullet was meant for her. And Mulder's like, if they're trying to kill you, that's the first place they're going to look. And the best thing Scully can do right now is crucify the men who hurt Melissa. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Speaking of which, there 46th Street, New York City, 7.09 a.m. So there's a bunch of men sitting in a smoke-filled room, and there's a man in, an, in a chair, and he's like, this is a serious mistake. I'm not going to try to do the guy's voice coming to talk about it later. I'm not going to try and do it because I can't. And it's bad. Anyway, he's like, this is a serious mistake. An innocent woman has been shot. 
And then another man asks if it can be traced. And the cigarette smoking man says it was a mistake and it will be rectified. And the well manicured man is also sitting in a chair and he's like, who will rectify it? The cigarette smoking man's ridiculously ineffective assassins and the cigarette smoking man insists they're professionals. But the well manicured man doesn't think professionals make those kind of mistakes. And then he says, my God, you presume to make us think that you can fix this with enough bullets. And then the cigarette smoking man kind of like recedes a little, kind of like, you know, taken aback. People are like questioning them. And he says, no. And then the well-manicured man tells him that Scully believes her partner is still alive. And the cigarette smoking man says that Mulder is dead. He took care of it himself. And then the well-manicured man questions the fact that the files have all been recovered. And the cigarette smoking man gets mad and says he did not realize that his integrity was being questioned. And then the dude in the armchair who spoke earlier asks if he has the tape. And the cigarette smoking man snaps that of course he has it. And the other men want to see it. Like other dudes start chiming in like, I'd like to see it. And they're like, yeah, I'd like to see it too. <laughs> and the cigarette smoking man says that I have it hidden somewhere. Obviously I don't have it on me and I'll bring it tomorrow. <laughs> digging in deep, cigarette smoking man. Just digging in deep. Yeah. He's all defensive. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, even the well-manicured man knows the crunch is useless. I just want to point that out. And then I, I think the cigarette smoking man is just lying to them about literally everything when he says that, like, Mulder is dead and he's 100% sure. Because, like, we know that after the train car, he did go to Albert's house, wasn't able to find Mulder. I'm pretty sure he put the pieces together, figured out that Mulder, or maybe beat it out of Eric, that Mulder was in that train car. So he assumes he is dead. I don't know. I think Eric was hard enough. Eric's face was messed up. He didn't tell him shit. Yeah. Either way, I think he is pretty confident that Mulder's dead, but he's not 100% sure. So I don't know how much of that is just him lying, just like he's lying about how he has the tape, or if he really is convinced that Mulder's dead at this point. But it's just interesting to think about. Yeah. So you have William B. Davis and you have John Neville in the room. I mean, you're going to be in trouble kind of yeah but the armchair dude he's kind of he sounds like he's auditioning for the role of don corleone like 25 years too late like do you have the tape it's like it's he sounds like a bad mafia boss is what he sounds he like. did kind of have that kid. mafia voice yeah <laughs> he, does. You know what? he has he it does. all the time he had it in the blessing way too like when we saw him previously and like it wasn't i think he only had like one line in that episode so it was kind of like Oh, that guy's not a good actor, but I mean, maybe that's his real voice. I don't know, maybe. but it's just like it's just like, oh god, dude, come on! Uh, you see the Godfather way too many times. You need to calm down. But anyway, well, they yeah. are in a smoke-filled room plotting conspiracies. Yeah, and know. I and like they're supposed to be like a worldwide <laughs> conglomerate thing. It's not just like the U.S. government, right? So you're gonna have people from different, you know. So maybe he's like the Sicilian arm of the cartel. I don't know, but yeah, I'm stereotyping people now. But yeah, he's just his voice is. I don't know if it's a, if it's an affectation or if it's his real voice, but it's kind of whew, anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so then we see a man tending to flowers in a greenhouse full of orchids, and Mulder and Scully arrive, and we find out this man is Victor Klemper, and Mulder introduces them, like he says, "Hey, you know, we're Mulder Scully from the FBI," and Klemper is surprised at Mulder's name, and Mulder tells him that he thinks Klemper knew his father. And Klemper says, I'm an old man and history bores me. And Scully asks, because you escaped it? And Klemper starts listing off like famous people that we know, like Freud, Salk, Crick, Watson, 
those men will be celebrated for their contributions to science. Klemper will be remembered only as a butcher. Maybe because you tortured and killed people in the Holocaust. So maybe that's what you deserve. Anyway. And the role of Dana Scully will be played today by Tori Santani. Yeah, so I know Scully's pissed too. <laughs> Scully, like this entire scene, you can tell she just like, wants to set him on fire with her eyes and i totally i mean obviously he's not a real nazi but like just through the character and well she doesn't she doesn't just use her eyes and i mean i might as well say it now it's not the best interview or interrogation technique to like insult someone every time you open your mouth which she does i get it i get it he's a nazi but like you're going there for information and this constantly like calling the dude out is not like the best strategy, I just have to say. So yeah, and I mean, I I would probably do the same thing because I would not be able to hold in my rage. But anyway, he asks if they know what he accomplished, and he's trying to justify his crimes in the name of progress, and that progress demands sacrifice. And Klemper says he's confronted his demons, and he soon will die too. And Mulder says his father was killed, and he thinks Klemper knows why. And Klemper says they'd kill anyone in the interests of their work. And Mulder asks what work his father was involved in. And Klemper says he has no answer for him. So Mulder hands him the photo and he asks if his father was a murderer too. And Klemper tells him there are things he doesn't have to know, but Mulder says he needs to find the truth. Isn't that what Klemper wants? For the truth to be known? And Klemper asks if they know the formula of Napier's constant. Scully does. And he tells them the photo was taken at Strughold Mining Company in West Virginia. And that's all he's going to give them. So Mulder heads out and Scully gives Klemper like this really hard, long look before leaving also. So, yeah, she's not happy. Yeah. So Napier's constant, one, it isn't a formula. He asked her if she knows the formula for Napier's constant. It's not a formula. It's a constant. But is there a formula to get the constant or? Well, so... It's actually more commonly known as Euler's number, which would have been the name that Scully would have known it by. Also, it would also be the name that Klemper would know it by unless he was educated in Britain, because pretty much only the British call it Napier's constant. And that's kind of a generalization. I've read several textbooks that were written by Britons and they called it Euler's number also. But that's also possible that like it's been edited for like publication outside of Britain. But anyway, so Napier did work on logarithms and including the natural log of which E is the base. So E is what we call, that's another name for Euler's number and for Napier's constant. He did that work nearly 150 years before Euler even was born, but he didn't define E. It was simply the base of the natural log because he worked with logs. And it was not even really considered a separate thing until Euler, because until the invention of calculating machines, like, you know, Logs were just tables that you looked at when you did wanting to do calculations. So you would look like, you know, I'm doing a natural log or a base 10 log or all that kind of stuff. Right. And mm-hmm. so you didn't even need to know the actual number. So it's, it's, it's weird, but that's how it worked. So like, it's similar to pi. Like for pi, we don't say the number pi, right? You know, 3.14, blah, blah, kind of thing. Right. We have a symbol, which is E because E, Euler's number, Napier's constant. It's, irrational it has infinite digits it goes on forever right so it's another one of those numbers that people are like how many digits can you recite it to how many digits have been calculated to it's one of those kind of things so but pretty much only in britain is it called napier's constant so it's kind of weird that both the german dude and scully are like oh yeah i totally know napier's constant 
maybe Scully knows what he means. And if he's from Germany, maybe that's why he knows the British version. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't really matter that much, but it is interesting to learn the real. Like, it what does it matter because mathematics matters. Okay. And also they <laughs> mess it up later too. But anyway. I mean, I'm not, so. not a huge math fan. So I find math fascinating. I'm just really bad at it. And so I just don't like it because I don't well, like things you, I'm not good at. <laughs> you know how I am? Like, uh, like if you're going to use science, use it right. Like, come on. Anyway, so, so back in the smoke-filled room, there's a phone that rings and it's for the well-manicured man and he picks it up and it's Victor Klemper, old buddy. He's like, I just met the son of one of our old colleagues. And the well-manicured man asks what he told him. And Victor says, I told him that you were one of the most venal men I've ever met. And other than that, I didn't tell him much. And then he hangs up and then the well-manicured man announces to the room that Mulder is alive. And they're all like, oh, and then <laughs> the dude who talks like he's in a Godfather movie is like, well, I think it's time we call our friends who will handle this matter more satisfactorily. That was awful impression. I should not do it, but that's kind of what you get. So, you know, hey, yeah, but they need yeah. to call their friends who will handle this matter more efficiently. Their friends. Could it be aliens? Could be aliens. Ooh, might be aliens. Could be aliens. Or could just be better assassins. I don't. Maybe it's the mob. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I tend to have, I tend to think I have a pretty good vocabulary, but I did have to look up venal. At first, I thought they were saying anal, and I'm like, I mean, he probably, well, manicure man probably is kind of an anal guy, but I didn't think that was what they meant. So I was really confused. Um, so just in case, like me, you weren't sure, venal means open to corrupt influence and especially bribery. And a synonym is mercenary. So just in case anyone's curious. As an adjective, not the noun yeah. mercenary. But yeah. he has mercenary tendencies or something. Basically. Right. Basically, you'll do stuff if people like give you money or power or whatever. Yeah. You're, corruptible. You're corruptible. Yeah, so. basically. Yeah. So. Not a stand-up was, dude. So we got math corner with Nick and that was word corner with Tori. <laughs> yes. And that is V-E-N-A-L. Yes. Venal. Venal. Not anal. So Margaret is by Melissa's hospital bed and she's watching her sleep and we see a man in a suit lingering outside the door and kind of awkwardly like looking in and Margaret sees him too. And then a nurse comes in and asks Margaret if she's expecting visitors. And at first she thinks it's Scully. So she's like relieved that Scully's there. But then the nurse tells her it's a man who says he was asked to come here. And then Albert appears behind the nurse. And he tells Margaret that Scully is sorry she can't be here. And Margaret asks if she's okay. And he says, yes, he believes so. And then Albert goes to Melissa's bed and he takes her hand and he notes that she's weak. And Margaret insists that she's getting better and has the best doctors, which, of course, mom wants to think that. Yeah, she, yeah, she did not react well to him saying that. She was like, whoa, yeah, she's getting better. And no. then, yeah, she's like, yeah, you <laughs> do not tell me. Um, <laughs> and Albert asks if he can pray over her and Margaret nods. So, yeah. And we neglected to say it when we talk about it, but when Mulder chases after her and is like, you can't go there. They'll try and kill you. He's like, let me call someone who can help her. Right. And I was wondering who he was talking about. I was like, he's going to send X X 
not going to help. No, X is the worst person to send. After yeah, but it, turned out, but it turns out he was he called Albert. Obviously, that's yeah. who he called to send. So yeah, I was like, oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah which makes sense. Yeah, the man in the suit is actually stunt coordinator Tony Morelli, who also had an on-screen role and dialogue in Ice, and is also the one who like couldn't get to work due to traffic in Anasazi. So David Duchovny and Nick Lee had to like coordinate their own fight scene. So. Yeah, I wonder where he lives. Maybe he was really far out in Hollywood. Or no, he was, was maybe, in Vancouver, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't, maybe he actually lives in the United States and crosses the border and there was like stuff going on. Couldn't get across the border. Who knows? Maybe, know. yeah. Or maybe he just didn't want to go to work that day. <laughs> honestly. So, so then we are in rural West Virginia and Mulder and Scully arrive at the mine Clamper told them about. And it's all like run down and, you know, just ancient, right? No one's been there for a long time, you can tell. So the buildings around it are decrepit and falling apart. And they walk in and there's just like danger signs on the ground. And then they head into the building and we see a bunch of old machinery. And Scully's like, what do you think your father would have been doing here? And Mulder's like, I don't know. Dad never came home wearing a miner's cap. I don't know what he's doing in the mine. Anyway. <laughs> So they, and he actually is jokey. I'm being more jokey than he is, but he does make like a little quip, right? So he is being jokey. And then they head up the stairs and there's machinery all over the place. And then partway up, Scully's like, Mulder, look at that. And they head into this area that's like lined on one side by like all these like, almost like wardrobes or like big like gun cases that you would have like all your big rifles or something in. They look and a lot like gun safes. Like they really yeah. do. Like those big yeah. gun safes that people have. Yeah. And it's got like a red lit keypad on everyone, right? So everyone has a keypad on it. And so everything's all dusty and broken down, but these actually look pretty like clean and shiny. And Scully's like, what do you think they are, Mulder? And he's like, I don't know. Let's try door number one, Monty. So Mulder obviously watched. Um, I don't remember the fuck that show. Monty Hall. Well, the show wasn't called Monty Hall. What was no, it but the Monty Hall problem is the math problem that I do understand. Thanks to Brooklyn oh, Nine-Nine. Okay. About how, like, if you're on Monty Hall and you have, you pick one of three doors and Monty tells you your door is wrong, then there are two more doors. You should change your guess because statistically you're more likely to have a correct answer that way. Yeah, because I, you're actually, you're actually increasing the probability yeah. by changing rather right. than sticking so yeah that's the money yep. all problem i don't know the name of the show but i know all about that problem so yay what was that show called i don't remember it was like super popular anyway yeah the monty hall show it wasn't the monty hall show it was something um i forget i'm not gonna look it up and i'm not gonna like edit it in later so whatever someone anyway screaming at their podcast going probably maybe someone Sorry, older than us i don't know but anyway Listeners. so he enters the code on the first keypad and it doesn't work. And then Scully tries the next one and it doesn't work. And they're both trying. And Mulder's like, it's 27828, right? And she's like, yeah, that's Napier's constant. Um, it actually should be 271828. So they missed mm -hmm. the one in between. So they messed that part up too. Anyway, eventually they get to where they get one that works. So apparently each door has its own code. So we only told them the code to one door. So right, who knows is, behind all the other doors? By the way, door number three is the one that works. If you're keeping oh, track. Oh, so they didn't. I, 
Really? It seemed like yep. they tried more than it seemed like they. Well, because they went they one. went in separate directions. So like she started at one, he went over to like six or five, oh, so it and was they his... kind of converged in the middle. And it was she, I think, gets to door number three, and the code actually works on the third. Door. Oh, gotcha. Because he ran past. And yeah, so... so he started okay. kind of further okay. down. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah. it's not not the third door they tried. No, but it just, is technically it door number, number three. three. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like Scully calls like the number the basis of all natural logarithms, actually the base of the natural logarithm, because only one. And then, like we said, the number's wrong. So anyway, so uh, they get to door number three, as Tori said. I didn't understand the whole thing. I was like, but that wasn't the third door they tried, because it's not the third door they tried. It's the third door from the start. And when they type it in, it turns green and Mulder runs over because Scully's the one who typed it in. And she's like, Mulder, before we go in, I want to make sure that you've had time to process everything. Well, she doesn't say she wants lot. to make sure. She's just worried about him because he hasn't had any yeah. time to process. Yeah. She's like, this, we don't know what we might find back here. Are you sure yeah. you want to do this kind of like, thing? This might change how you feel about your father. And then she says what I've been thinking the whole time. She's like, or at least that's how I would feel. So she's like totally doing transference on Mulder. And Mulder's like, I'm fine. And he opens the door. Yeah. He does open the door. He does open the door. Which, I mean, I don't know. I think I do the same thing as Skelly because I'm very like, how would I be? And I try, I mean, I definitely, I feel like I'm pretty good at figuring out how people exist in their shoes. But I think we all bring a little bit of that projection to situations where like, this is how I would feel. So I think you would probably feel this way. Well, and she, we have seen, and we're going to see some more in a little bit too, where she totally refuses to acknowledge what happened to her. Yes, and she does. this kind of this kind of relates to that because this is where like yeah. I might have the chance to find out what happened to me, and she's like, maybe we shouldn't do this. So yeah. yeah, I don't think she wants. I mean, I think she wants to know, but I think there's part of her that doesn't, which I totally get because I'm the same way, man. Every time I have to get blood work done, I'm like, yes, I want to know things are fine, but also I kind of don't want to get those results because what if they're not fine? Like, <laughs> if I was maybe kidnapped by aliens. And they had put something in my body and maybe done horrible experiments. I'd want to know. Yeah, but, but what if they're me... not? What if they're not fine? But you can do something about I it. I know, and that's the thing. And but like but... I, 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 and I understand that, and that's why I go get those tests done when I'm supposed to. But like it's still, I think there's just part of you, or at least there's part of me, and there's part of a lot of people that you like. You want to know, but there's part of you that wishes you didn't even have to find out. You know what I mean? Like you could just not have to go there and even look but you do because if you're in it's like you know she's been through some horrible stuff she doesn't know what kind of terrible medical tests they've done she probably on some level doesn't want to know <laughs> but at the same time it's better if she does know because she needs to kind of know what they might have done to her and maybe if there's more shit rolling around her body who knows gotta find out maybe they a- will maybe they maybe won't they will we'll find out so then the cigarette smoking man enters skinner's office and he says, you called me? And Skinner says, yes, I did. And Skinner gets up and he tells him that he may have located the digital tape that the cigarette smoking man is looking for. And there's a chance it will fall into the hands of people who will use it for purposes other than his. And cigarette smoking man is ticked off that Skinner's trying to make a deal. And he says, like, I don't work deals. I don't make deals. And Skinner's all... I just thought you should know certain potentialities. 
And the cigarette smoking man demands to know if he has the tape. And of course, we know like the cigarette smoking man kind of needs that tape because he said he already had it. So he's pretty desperate to get it. And Skinner's just like, I'll know more when we next meet. And the cigarette smoking man reiterates that he doesn't negotiate. And Skinner says, I understand. And the cigarette smoking man says he doesn't think he understands. But Skinner implies he knows how he deals with things that need to be taken care of. And the cigarette smoking man says, good. Maybe next time you'll be more cautious. And he takes a drag on his cigarette and he leaves. Yeah, I did have to laugh because like we agree that William B. Davis is pretty awesome, especially for yes. someone who like was not an actor before this. Right. But when, when he's all like, you called me and Skinner's like, yes, I did. And then he's like about like he's asking, like, what'd you call me about? He actually says a boot <laughs> like because he's Canadian. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I had to laugh. Yeah. So, yeah, you could tell he was trying not to, but it was just like. <laughs> A boot. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Oh God. Oh my God. You, you gotta wonder how yep. many takes they did where he just yeah. like really tried and just couldn't get through. Yeah. Because he did way. grow up in like the Toronto area and then relocated to Vancouver, you know, before the XFL stuff. So like he was definitely in that like that that like that Midwestern Canadian kind of like combo accent thing. So but it was <laughs> just yeah, it was hilarious. Anyway. So Mulder and Scully are walking through a tunnel. They got their flashlights. They don't have their super fancy flashlights they usually have, I guess, because maybe those are FBI flashlights and they're not worth the FBI anymore. So you just got like, you know, just your standard flashlights. And inside they find rows and rows and rows of file cabinets. And Scully's like, it looks like they're storing records. And she opens one up and says, they're medical records, alphabetized by name. And then Mulder walks down like this row and there's this light switch, which I'm not sure I would have hit it because you don't really know that it's a light switch, but he hits it and then all the lights on and like the file cameras just go on and on and on. And there's like an old train track running down the center. That probably mm-hmm. is like how they like carried files back and forth, but like it's a ton. And he's like, there's lots and lots of files anyway. So they open a file and there's a birth certificate and a smallpox vaccination form. And then there's like a small box, like in a plastic bag that is old and kind of starting to deteriorate. And it says sterile, do not tamper. And she's like, it's an old tissue collection cassette. And Mulder's like, well, how do you know? She's like, well, like nowadays they're plastic, but back then, you know, they use, I guess, I guess it's glass or something. I don't know, or ceramic or something. And Mulder's like, are all the files the same? And she's like, yes. And then I had a little problem with this because I get expediency, but like at this point she's looked at one file and she says they're all the same. And then, but then she also said they were all medical files before she even looked at any of them. Like she opens the drawers, like they're medical files. She hadn't even opened them yet, but whatever it's TV. So then he's like, when was this person born? And she's like, 1955, all the files in the drawer are 1955. And he's like, what year were you born? And she's like, 1964. And then she's like, why? And he says, let's go find 1964. So they run. Well, first he runs, then she has to follow. But they head on down the railroad tracks. Chugga, chugga, chugga. And they find the drawer for 1964, letters S-A through S-H. And Mulder opens it. And Scully's like, you're looking for a file on me? And then he finds one for a Dana Catherine Scully. And inside, there is a new type of tissue sample container that Scully was mentioning. And she's like, what the hell is going on? Mulder's like, I don't know. But I don't know why she's shocked. Like, she told him her name was in the files on the disc. Like, why is she surprised that there's a file? Well, I think because, one, her file, her name being in the files on the disc is not 
the same as knowing that you have a file in this weird place. And also, it looks like no one's been here in a really long time. So it looks like these files are all super old. And she was just kidnapped recently. So it's just kind of weird that there's a file on her. Like that means they're still updating the files and putting new ones in. Mm, I guess. I was just kind of thinking that Chris Carter couldn't remember that he had. Said oh, that I think time, he remembers. Well, uh, I mean, they slip mm. up sometimes. I don't think this is a slip up at all. And I would okay. be pretty shocked too. Like, even if I thought it was possible that my name was in there and then I had a file in there, I think I'd still be pretty shocked to actually find it. So I get it. Okay. It makes sense. Okay. It's also bad acting, but okay. Anyway. So then Mulder looks for another drawer and like, you know, jogs down the filing cabinets and he finds it and he pulls it open and he pulls out a file and Scully notes it's Samantha's file. And on the tab, it has Samantha's name and birth date, Samantha Ann Mulder, 11 But the sticker is actually over an older tab. So he kind of pulls the tab up and he sees that below it reads Fox William Mulder, 10 and he says the file was originally his. And Scully doesn't really follow. And then the lights go out. So uh, they can't really see anything. And then there's a low rumble. And so they turn on their flashlights. And Mulder tells Scully to wait there. And she calls after him asking where he's going. And Mulder runs to the door they enter through and out into the warehouse. And there's like these lights shining through the windows. And Scully calls after him. And suddenly she hears all this scuffling and things or people start running past her in the dark. And we see like these flashes of gray, small bodies. And she drops her flashlight and she bends down. She picks up her flashlight. But when she does, everyone's gone. And then she runs. And then we see Mulder staring at the strange lights hovering outside the building. And it looks like a UFO is like hovering right outside. And then it starts rising into the sky. So Mulder runs up the stairs to the roof and he watches it like he stands under it as it passes overhead. Meanwhile, Scully heads for the door they came in. And she sees light coming through the door and there's a figure standing in the doorway and it kind of looks alienoid, like it's a silhouette and then the light fades. <gasps> and then it's commercial. Yeah. I have a question that some, there's something here that neither Scully nor Mulder do, which is keep the files they just found. Yeah, I don't think. They Why do. would you not keep your file? <laughs> why would you not hang on to it? I mean, you could drop it and lose it, right? So we don't get any information from it. But why, like, she, she obviously put hers back when she chases after Mulder because she doesn't have it when they're looking at Sam's. And then Mulder doesn't have Sam's when he runs off. Like, why wouldn't you keep the folder? Yeah, I don't know. I agree that that seems silly that they wouldn't. Maybe they think they can come back and grab them. Why would you? Well, why would know, you why think you that? Yeah. Especially when all the power goes out and there's weird lights everywhere. I would think like, yeah, we're probably not coming back. Or, or if we do, what has happened every time they've left somewhere and come back? There's, gone. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. yeah. So why wouldn't you keep the folder? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Yeah. Also, I was like, why are you splitting up in this situation? That doesn't seem like a good situation to split up in. Like, stay here, Scully. Why? Why should she stay there? Too much Scooby-Doo. Together. Split up. Find some clues. <laughs> anyway, according to special effects chief David Cothier, the giant UFO seen through the window was actually a 180-foot wide truss, and it had 6,000 pounds of lighting on it. And the crew flew it at 275 feet in the air on this massive crane. But because it wobbled and they couldn't really get it up high enough and like in a sturdy way, 
the craft that flies over Mulder on the roof is CGI, which is pretty clear it's CGI now. But the effect in front of the building—it actually looks. Cool. It actually, I, it looks pretty good, honestly. It does, it yeah. Looks, it, it doesn't look bad. Good. It's it does look CGI, so, but it doesn't look bad. Yeah. It's also at first I thought it was when we first when he first goes outside and we see it. It looks like it might be triangular, like the one he saw in Deep Throat, right? Mm-hmm. But it's actually octagonal. So when it passes over. Okay. So, yeah. Not the same ship. No, not the same ship. Nope. And 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 look, it looks like way bigger too. It's kind of got that like it looks like a board cube a little bit. Like there's all kinds of like greeblies all over it and everything. So, but yeah, but it's it's octagonal. Not like three dimensional. It's like flat, but then it's like right, an yeah, octagon tile kind of thing flying through here. So, but it's I would have thought almost that it might have been an actual like practical model and not CGI when it like passes behind the mountain. It, so it looked pretty good, I thought, in my opinion. Nice. Yeah. So then on the ground, all these vehicles, all these cars start driving up. They're, they're driving fast and they're skidding and they got their headlights on. And so Mulder runs back into the building and downstairs and men run out of the cars and they're in the building and they see Mulder. And so, boom, what do they do? They start shooting. <laughs> ping, 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 ping. Bullets bouncing off all kinds of metal. Mulder's like, what? Ducking behind banisters. And then someone's like, find the woman too. And then Mulder opens a door to the file cabinet area they were in because they, I guess, had left it open when they went in the first time. I mean, it makes sense. You probably yeah, I would close it want to leave it open. Yeah. Yeah. He might not, might not be able to get back out. Right. And so, but when he goes in, it closes behind him. And then the men are close behind and they type the code into the keypad. Boom, immediately opens. They know what's going on. Mulder calls for Scully. Scully calls for Mulder. Apparently, it's not just one big long tunnel. I guess there's like side tunnels too. And so they find each other. Scully asks if he's okay. She's like, I heard gunshots. And Mulder's like, there's a small army outside. I think we're in trouble. And Scully's like, I think I found a way out. So they like run down some side and all the file cabinets. And then they come out through a side door in the hill. And it's all cool. No one's there. And they just leave. Yep. Lucky. Pretty lucky. Yeah, that's convenient. It's kind of like <laughs> EBE where they're like in a super secret compartment. And he's like, let's go talk, Mulder. And they just open the door and they're outside. You're like, what the hell, dude? You got like, <laughs> the door leads right into the place on the outside. Okay, that's all right. Anyway, yeah. The dude who types the code into the door after Mulder runs in, you can actually see him type in the numbers. He does type in 27828. So I yeah. hope that he maybe typed the right one, but he types the wrong one. So no, because the writers got it wrong. So that's the code. Yeah. yeah, I do. I wonder if they actually rigged electronics to work by code to change the color, or if it was just a switch. So like they type in numbers and then someone flipped the switch to turn it from red to green. I kind of yeah. wonder about that. I don't know. So it seems like it'd be a lot of work to code it when you could just have someone like time it and like flip a switch. But who knows? Sometimes they like to do things the hard way, like paint entire quarries. So, yeah. Yeah. So night fades into day and we see a sign that reads Charlotte's Diner, home cooked meals. Mm, and then we good. get a little thing on. I know it does sound good, right? I would totally eat there. I'm hungry, you know what I actually, could? So. I could really go for some just straight up like chicken fried steak and country gravy type breakfast or something like that kind of like really yeah. greasy what we see does not look like that kind of food is being no served here. but that is what sounds it's just that's what i yeah. kind of when i first see like home-cooked meals i kind of picture that like lots of southern gravy and maybe some biscuits on the side or something yeah. i don't know 
Yeah. Like Springer Restaurant in Portland, Oregon. Yes, or, which is uh, very or good. Or Black Bear Restaurant, which is a chain, but I still like it a lot. They've yeah. got a really good chicken fried steak. Anyway. Nice. So. so anyway, we get the little tag on the screen that tells us this is Route 320A in Crager, Maryland. And a car pulls up to the building and Skinner gets out. And inside, he sees Mulder and Scully are at a table with half-eaten food in front of them. And they look absolutely wrecked. Like, they look exhausted. And Skinner's like, this place isn't even on the map. How did you get here? And Mulder's like, you'd be surprised at what isn't on the map in this country. And he tells Skinner the last night they were chased by a hit squad that looked an awful lot like CIA. And Skinner tells them he might be able to negotiate a deal that would guarantee their safety. He can trade the tape for their reinstatement. Mulder says he needs that tape, but Skinner's like, I'm talking about a way to save your lives. So this is going to come up later. Yeah, they do. But I'm, why. well, they explain it badly, but I'm like, it's a digital tape. Why haven't you made a copy already? For God's sakes, like make a copy yeah. people, please. I guess the little friends who are going to take care of things weren't the aliens. They were the CIA. Yeah, I think so. Aliens were just there. Coincidentally, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they're probably related. Or did like all the cars get offloaded by the UFO? And the UFO was like, okay, you guys take care of it. See you later. And then like left. Like it just dropped all the cars off nearby. Like it's like a helicarrier kind of thing. Like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Load in, dudes. We're going to go to West Virginia. Do, 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 do. And then it flew over there, dropped them off, and then was leaving. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. That would actually be really cool if that was what happened, but I'd probably not. But So Mulder says he's talking about an elaborate conspiracy against the American public. And he's like, do you know what we found last night? And Skinner asks what? And Scully tells him they found an elaborate filing system full of medical records buried deep in the side of a mountain. And Skinner asks for what purpose? And Mulder doesn't know, but the answer has to be on that dat tape. And Skinner asks if that answer is worth their lives. And Mulder says, well, it's obviously worth killing us for. And Skinner asks what Mulder could possibly hope to find. And he's like, why they killed my father, what happened to my sister, what they did to Agent Scully. And answer might be in those files they didn't take. but I know, I wish they had taken them too. And Scully thinks they should let Skinner make the deal. And Mulder's really shocked by this. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I mean, he is really surprised that she thinks that. And she explains that those answers will mean nothing if they're hunted down like animals. They're working outside the system and they've given up on the system of justice. And Mulder asks why she thinks there's any such thing as justice. And Scully's like, if there's no justice, then what good are those answers to anyone but Mulder? And Mulder says what they found last night and she cuts him off. She wants the same thing he does, but right now she needs to see her sister. So Mulder turns to Skinner and he guesses that Skinner already tried to make a backup of the tape because, you know, obviously it's digital. You'd want to copy it. And Skinner says there's some kind of protector on it. So he couldn't copy the files. He couldn't even print them out. So I don't know how Scully got printouts of them earlier. Yeah. So I was going to mention, yeah, I was going to like, you know, Scully had printouts in Anasazi and in a blessing way, right? They, so. Like the soldiers take her printouts that were in her trunk. And I mean, honestly, that kind of digital tape, like put some tape over the, t- it's like an old cassette tape. Like you pop the tab and you can't copy it. So put some tape over it and it works. Yeah. Or like take screenshots or hand transcribe them. Like the list goes on of how you could copy this, but. Yeah. 
they do find a way to copy it sort of i don't know they do sort of find a way (laughs) yeah i don't know if that's a bluff or not but i don't know but anyway Mulder asks skinner what makes him think they'd even honor a deal and skinner says if they don't i'll go state's evidence and i'll testify and Mulder finally tells Scully it's up to her. And then he gets up and he leaves the diner and Scully looks pretty tortured by this. So no comment. Moments later, Skinner and Scully leave the diner and Skinner looks at Mulder who's standing outside and then he gets into his car. And then Scully tells Mulder that she told Skinner to make the deal, but not to hand over the tape until Mulder agrees to it. And then that kind of puts Skinner in a weird position, honestly. But anyway, so Mulder says that he's sorry about Melissa. And Scully just says she needs to know if she's going to be okay. So then Scully gets in the back of Skinner's car. And then it actually takes a little bit. But then Mulder gets into the passenger seat and they drive off. So yeah, I kind of assumed he, they were going back with him. It seems that they're not. I kind of thought he was taking them back to D.C. with him. But I guess he'd just taken them to wherever they were staying in the yeah. area or something. Where they can get their car, probably. Yeah. Because they probably have to pick up whatever car they took. Yeah. So back in Melissa's hospital room, we get Albert's voiceover. And he tells us for two days, he prayed over the FBI woman's sister, meaning Melissa. So the doctor said that she was getting better. And her mother, who refused to leave her bedside, was able to get some sleep. But Albert got word from his brothers up north that didn't give him hope. The white buffalo had survived, but had stopped drinking its mother's milk. Three days later, the mother buffalo laid down and then died. Albert says when he was a boy, his father taught him that was how life is. For something to live, another thing must often be sacrificed. And that was his fear for Melissa. So I guess by bringing Mulder back to life, Melissa's got to Yeah. So, oops. Not great. Maybe should have read Mulder the fine print on that one first, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I would not tell Scully that story. So. No, yeah. no. So Skinner walks into Melissa's room while Albert is holding her hand and Margaret wakes up and he introduces himself. He shows his badge and then he tells her that he's very sorry about her daughter. And Skinner says that Dana sent him with a message and Margaret demands to know where she is and if she's okay. And Skinner says she's okay, but she's in a serious situation that prevents her from being there. And Margaret's like, what kind of situation? And Skinner's like, it's one we're hoping to reverse so we can get her back to work. And then the man in the suit walks by the room again, and he's kind of looking in. And Albert tells Skinner that that man has been very curious about this room. And Skinner asks who Albert is. He's like, who are you? And Albert introduces himself and said that he was told to come here. And Skinner's like, okay, well, you don't leave this room. So we can't leave Melissa alone, basically. Or Mrs. Scully. Yeah, that's true. So Skinner heads out into the hall and out of the ICU. And he sees an exit door closing. So he runs through it to the stairwell. And he gets to the door of the next floor. And he's going to open it quietly. So he's like getting ready to like open it and surprise whoever went through it. And it slams open and like right into him. So whoever was behind it kind of was waiting for him to be there and then slammed the door into him. And the man has a gun and he hits Skinner and Skinner knocks the gun out of his hand and hits the guy. And then Luis Cardinal jumps Skinner from behind. And then Crycheck comes from the other direction and he punches him several times. And he pulls the dat tape out of Skinner's pocket and then punches him in the face. And they leave Skinner unconscious in the stairwell. And it's commercial. 
Yep, not good. Crytek has very floppy hair in this scene. He's kind of like the Rocketeer <laughs> or something. It's all like, anyway, he's been growing it out since we last saw him. Or he was using some heavy pomade when he was slicking it back. I'm not sure. So then we are in Southeast Washington, D.C. The man in the suit from the hospital is driving a car. And then Crycheck is in the passenger seat. And then Lewis is in the back seat. And they pull up in front of a convenience store. And the man in the suit gets out and goes into the store. And then Lewis says, I sure could use a beer. And he asks Crycheck if he wants anything. And Crycheck's like, no. He's like, you sure? He's like, yes, sure. So then he gets out and he leaves Crycheck alone in the car. And then Crycheck is kind of watching. And like they're kind of like standing by the front of the door, of like talking a little bit in the store's doorway. And Crycheck kind of looks over. And he sees that the car's clock radio is like blinking 12. Like no one said it, right? And he's like, Ugh. so then he like leaps out of the car, opens the door, runs, runs, runs. And the car just blows and he like knocks him to the ground as he's running. And then he like gets up and then he just books it, just keeps on going. And the other men come and they walk over the car and they see him running away and they know he's not dead. Yeah. So maybe they were trying to kill him. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I think they were. They, were yeah, they definitely look more like, well, darn. than they look like, holy shit, our car just blew up. Yeah. I so. mean, I think that's why they got out of the car. Right. Because then they have that weird little conversation at the front of the store and they look mm. back at Crycheck and like he gets suspicious at that point. You can tell he's kind of like, that's weird. What's going on? Because they're not in the store buying things. They're like in the doorway talking and looking over at him. He's probably like, are you sure Crycheck didn't want something or not being cheap? He's like, no, I asked him. He said he didn't want anything, man. You go ask him yourself. And that's and, when Crycheck notices the clock is <laughs> rinking and he realizes the car is rigged to explode and jumps out. So he realizes yeah. that, you know, he's going to die. Yeah. So apparently the pyrotechnics in this scene caused a lot of problems. They had struggled to get the car to blow up. And <laughs> actor Nick Lee, who plays Alex Crycheck, was kind of worried because he's like, his exact quote is like, it doesn't exactly fill you with confidence because he had to like sit in the car that was rigged to blow up. And so he was like a little worried about it. But when they got the shot, he was only like 30, 40 feet away. And the shockwave from the explosion actually did like pretty much knock him down for real. So he like went with it when he felt the pressure. But like he was still probably a little too close for safety. It does seem. I mean, knowing what I know about like that kind of stuff, like special effects, that kind of thing. It always seems like whenever they explode a car, they gut it. Right. Because you don't you want to you want to blow up the cheapest thing possible. And like. I don't remember a continuous cut where we see him exit the car and then the car blows up. It's like he gets out of the car and then it cuts to him running away from a car and then the car explodes. It seems weird they would have him sit in the same car that they were going to blow up, but maybe they did. It just seems weird. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, I don't um, know. Also, like, why would you endanger your actors? Because that's not, like, anything could go wrong. That seems weird. Anyway. Going back to the whole thing we discussed last episode about like who shot Melissa, right? Could we talk about that? And I kind of mentioned in the little recap thing about like the PA who shot the gun. Because when I froze the frame with the muzzle flash, it's like neither Krychek nor Lewis Cardinal. It's some other dude. In this scene, though, because in that scene, like we see Krychek come out from behind the wardrobe where the gunman was kind of standing. And then Lewis Cardinal comes from the other side, right? Mm -hmm. And neither of them seem to be wearing the clothes that the gunman was wearing. Because when the muggle flashed, we can see the dude's clothes and everything, right? His face. That's why it looks like so different. But in this scene, Lewis is wearing the exact same clothes that the dude that shot the gun was wearing. I actually went back and double-checked several times. Because then I was like, 
maybe that was him and like just the way like with the muzzle flash and the shadows and like making the face of like oh my god i'm shooting this gun that's made to flash more than a gun usually does for a tv kind of thing like he would be making a face but it's definitely not him but so it's probably like his stunt double but that does mean that in episode he is the shooter yeah because he's wearing the exact clothes that he is wearing in this scene and not the and Crytek isn't dressed the same. So Crytek has a really Richard Rico look going on in, in this scene, honestly. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I think I mean he is the one who puts the gun down next to her. So he has the gun in his hand. So it's just weird because like in the scene, it's like Crytek is there, but then he has the gun, and then Yeah. 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 So I think it is supposed to be him that shot. That would make sense. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I did. That's okay. With just in this scene, I was like, wait. And plus, because we had just seen the flashback, and I actually froze the frame on the flashback to make sure they didn't change it, make it someone different, and it's the same dude. And then when I saw this scene, I'm like, wait, and I went back and it's the exact same clothes. Like it it looks like the same, like the way they fit and everything is exactly the same. That's why I was really like, maybe the dude has too much hair and just the face doesn't the face doesn't match. So probably a stunt dude. Because guns usually don't flash that much. So they probably didn't want to endanger someone. So, but it is the same clothes. Hmm. Anyway. Interesting. So then Mulder and Scully return to Clamper's greenhouse and Mulder calls for him. So I guess... I don't know where Klemper lives. And we never specified where he lived. Did they specify where he lives? No. I couldn't remember if there was a little tag on the screen when they, when they first go and see him. So, but they go to see him. Mulder calls out for him. And there's like no one there. But then as they're walking around, guess who is there? The well-manicured man is there. And he's like, yes. hello, young lady. <laughs> Scully. And Scully's like, where's Klemper? And he tells them that they found him yesterday among his flowers. Apparently his heart had given out. Very sad. And Mulder's like, you killed him, didn't you? And then he says that the well-manicured man is one of the men from the photo. And he holds up the photo. Like, see, look, you're one of the men in this photo. And he's like, you knew my father. And the well-manicured man is like, yes, we were young men back then. And then Mulder's like, you were part of the project. And you know why those medical data records were being collected. And he's like, yes, I do indeed. And he tells them that in 1947, a spacecraft was reportedly recovered in New Mexico. And he's like, and you know all of this. And supposedly a body was recovered from the wreckage. And this incident occurred at the end of World War II at a time when Nazi scientists were brought over to exploit their knowledge. And Scully's like, Operation Paperclip. And he's like, yes. And you must also know of the work of Joseph Mengele, the angel of death. And Scully's like, he thought he could produce a super race through genetic engineering. And the well-manicured man says, as did some of his colleagues. And Scully's like, like Kempler. And he mentions that Kempler produced some of the most beautiful orchid hybrids. Mulder gets the clue that Klemper was trying to create alien-human hybrids, right? Because he does hybrids with orchids. So he's doing hybrids with humans and aliens, too. And Mulder's like, that's what was in the boxcar. The victims of such experiments. And he's horrified. And he asked if his father was involved with all this. And Scully says it wasn't possible. DNA hadn't even been identified yet. Which she actually says that DNA hadn't been identified until 1944. 
which in scene would be fine because they're talking about stuff that happened in 1947 and the experiments were like going on like in the 60s and 70s so that would be viable you could use dna to do that but it's also wrong because the discovery of dna goes all the way back to the late 19th century there's actually x-ray diffraction photos of dna as early as 1937 so anyway yeah so wrong science again anyway but then again but like she says she says 1944 he's talking about stuff that happens in 1947 so like how is that wrong like that would work yeah no that's true i think she's just saying back then they couldn't have done that <laughs> which doesn't mean she's correct but that's her nope. assumption scullions is not making assumptions well actually chris carter seems right better so the well-manicured man says that when bold Mulder realized what the medical data was being used for he objected strenuously and Mulder asks he collected those files and the well-manicured man says that with the threat of nuclear holocaust in the 50s, the government assigned men like Mulder to gather genetic data from the populace for post-apocalyptic identification. Mulder realizes that's what the vaccine records are for, that they took tissue samples from everyone who got vaccinated for smallpox. Kempler had access to the DNA of almost everyone born since 1950. Scully tells him he's lying. He's just telling you what you want to hear that there were no experiments with aliens. And then the well man asks, why would I lie to you? And Scully says, to protect yourself and to cover up the Nazi experiments. And Mulder asks her why her name is in the file then. And she doesn't know. And Mulder points out that there are current records in those files, and he thinks they're records of abductees. Scully glares at him, and then she walks away. So again, she's not willing to deal with this business right now. So Mulder asks the well manicured man why they took his sister. And the well-manicured man says they took her for assurance to keep Bill from exposing what he knew. And Mulder asks why her, not him. And the well-manicured man says that's not for him to say, but Mulder's life is in danger now because he has also threatened to expose the project like his father. And Mulder asks why he's telling him this. And he says, because it's what you want to know, isn't it? And with that, the well-manicured man leaves and then Mulder calls after him and is like, is there more? And he says, more than you'll ever know. <laughs> and it seems like there'd be like a song at that moment. Like, more than you'll ever know. I get this is like a Disney production. Oh, my God. Musical. Okay, hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. X-Files, the musical. <laughs> and it's, it's like just a myth arc. It's a myth arc musical. It runs for three hours. There's an intermission. Yes. All right, I'm gonna call Chris Carter. I'm gonna see. It seems like there the should ground. be like you like you could do that, but it seems like there should be little offshoots of different like Monster of the Week ones too. Oh yeah, okay. Well, we'll get first. Let's get <laughs> X Files the musical off Broadway. Get it starting. You know, do the preview shows and stuff, and then maybe we can work on some some other spinoffs. Okay, like maybe you could license those out like for like high school and college productions or something. Yeah. You know? something, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so back in the smoke-filled room, the phone rings and a man answers and he's like, yes, he's just arrived. One moment. And he gives the phone to the cigarette smoking man. And we see that it's Krychek calling from a payphone. And Krychek's like, I'm alive. Isn't that a surprise? And the cigarette smoking man is like, good, good. And he's clearly trying not to let on, you know, what's going on on the other side of the conversation so the people in the room can't tell what's happening. 
So the cigarette smoking man asks, where are you? And, you know, again, keeping calm. And Krychek says, he'll never find him. And he calls him a double-crossing son of a bitch. And Krychek says that if he so much as feels his presence, he's going to make the cigarette smoking man a very famous man. And again, cigarette smoking man's like, all is normal. And he's like, thank you. And he hangs up. And he tells the room that he's received confirmation that the DAT tape was destroyed in a car bomb explosion, which also killed Scully's would-be assassin. And the armchair man asks about Mulder and Scully. And the cigarette smoking Mulder and Scully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the cigarette smoking man says he has a meeting with the FBI later. And the armchair man asks for what? And the cigarette smoking man says, for nothing. There will be no deal. And he leaves. So like, he just he straight up lies. He lies about Crycheck being dead. He doesn't actually know if the dad tape's been destroyed. He has, yeah, it's pretty great. So but he's good at looking like he's calm while he's having this weird shocking conversation. So good for him. Yeah. So then we are in Greenwich, Connecticut and Mulder turns the light on in his mother's room. And she's like, Oh, Fox. And he's sitting on the edge of her bed. And she's like, why didn't you call? And he says, I needed to see you. That doesn't answer the question of why he didn't call. But anyway, he says he needs to ask her about something that happened a long time ago. And she's kind of like, Oh, Fox, like we, talked about this last time like i don't remember anything and he's like i need to ask you about when sam was taken before she was gone did dad ever ask you if you had a favorite and she's like what he's like did he ever ask you to make a choice and she's like don't please don't do this like and she tries to get out of bed so then he grabs her face and says listen to me i need to know did he make you make a choice? And she's like, no, I couldn't choose. It was your father's choice. And I hated him for it. And I still hate him. Yeah. Insane. So I think we know why the Mulders got divorced. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, that's having a kid go missing is like already crazy stressful. And then knowing that like, it was because of your husband and he actually picked the one that was going to go like, yeah, I would be out there. I would be out the fucking door too. And I would take my other kid with me. So, yeah. yeah, she does get reasonably upset at the end. Oh, sure. Would. Yeah. But she is super calm for a woman living alone when someone turns on the light in her bedroom at 2 a.m. Yeah. She's just like, yeah. oh, Fox, it's you. Like, whoa, 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 um, that, Yeah, that was a little. And then also, like, Mulder is super nice to his mom again. That's totally cool. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. that he needs answers and he's really stressed. But, man, he is not nice about it. No. No. This one not. is probably worse, honestly. Like, he just, like, yelled at her last time right after his dad's funeral. He, like, physically grabs his mother and, like. You're gonna tell me what I need to know. It's like, whoa, 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 dude! You just woke her up. Like the fact that she's not already like hysterical is pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, she's been through a lot, so I guess maybe I guess. she's more stoic than some of Man. us. Whew. Anyway. And then we're at FBI headquarters in Washington D.C. for one of the greatest scenes in X Files history. <laughs> just hyping it up. <laughs> so you know what there- happens when you hype stuff up. Sometimes people get excited. Mm. So the cigarette smoking man enters Skinner's office and Skinner stares at him and the cigarette smoking man lights a cigarette and he's like, you wanted to see me? And Skinner tells him he has the tape that the cigarette smoking man has been looking for and he's prepared to hand it over or destroy it in exchange for Mulder and Scully's safety and their reinstatement to the FBI. 
And the cigarette smoking man's like, I told you, I don't negotiate, especially with punks who think they can bluff me. And the cigarette smoking man knows that Skinner doesn't have the tape. And then he makes some veiled threats on Skinner's life and he turns to go. And Skinner's like, I'm not finished yet. And he walks to the other door and we see Albert is sitting in the hall. And so Skinner calls him to come inside. And the cigarette smoking man's face changes and he actually looks kind of worried. And he asks what's going on. And Skinner tells the cigarette smoking man, this is where you pucker up and kiss my ass. And Skinner also calls him a son of a bitch. And he says that if Mulder and Scully come down with so much as a flu, Albert Holstein is prepared to recite word for word, file for file, everything on his precious tape. And then Skinner's like, I know what you're thinking. Albert's an old man. And there are plenty of ways you could kill him, too. Which is why in the oral tradition of his people, he's told 20 other men what's in those files. So unless he's willing to kill every Navajo in four states, the information on those files is accessible with a simple phone call. And the cigarette smoking man's like, you're bluffing. And Skinner's like, am I? I will say that I think some government officials would be willing to kill every Navajo in four states. I was going to say, <laughs> like, I get the idea, but it's not Skinner's best plan because it's not like government, like secret government, oh, yeah, or see regular government. Like, yeah, like they're not skittish about like murdering Native peoples, whether it's like mm. one at a time so, or yeah. like in Moss. So, yeah. Mm. And Albert would know that, too. There, there actually <laughs> is a part where he says, like, I know what you're thinking. Albert's an old man. There are plenty of ways you could kill him. And I think at, at one point, either it's that part or he says, like, if you're willing to kill, like, every novel in four states, they cut to Albert. And Albert's kind of like, hmm, maybe <laughs> don't give him an idea. Because... Right. <laughs> because maybe he would be willing to do that. And let's let's not push that. Yeah. Um, but this does give us the fan favorite line from Skinner where he tells the cigarette smoking man, this is where you pucker up and kiss my ass. And Mitch Pelagia said that scenes with William B. Davis were always super fun because the nature of the character's animosity towards each other. So they just had a really fun time playing off each other and going back and forth. So they did flip the doors. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but I didn't pay attention to the when when they had the first meeting. But in this one, the cigarette smoky man comes in the front door, like Scully would come in or Mulder would come in for meetings. And Albert is actually in. Like, I guess that's actually like a little anteroom or something that Albert is in. That's the door that the cigarette smoking man usually comes in. Yeah. It's flipped. So interesting. Yeah. So Mulder arrives at the hospital and he finds Scully sitting in a room, but the bed is empty and the room is all clean and all the equipment's gone out of it. And Scully says it happened three hours ago. She went into surgery, but the damage to her brain was worse than they hoped. Scully says Melissa died for her and that she tried to tell her she was sorry, but she doesn't think she ever really knew. And Mulder says she knew. And Scully like takes a deep breath and she says, you're right. There is no justice. And Mulder says he doesn't think it's about justice. He thinks it's about something they have no control over. It's about fate. Yeah. Oh, man. Sorry, that hospital scene. <laughs> it's so hard. Oh, it just sucks. I am going to ruin it just a little bit because, like, they cleaned out the room. They made it. They got all the equipment out there. I don't know if they would let her sit in the room for, like, three hours. After. Honestly, they, would want, they would want that room. I thought the same thing, but, I mean, I get it. Because, like, I mean, and also, why would you want to sit in that room? Like, there are better places. You know what I mean? Like, why would you yeah. want to sit in that room? They would want but, that room, though. 
Yeah, they would. But yeah, anyway, the whole stuff about like she, you know, died for me and I didn't even get to say I'm sorry. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Awful. Anyway, <laughs> poor Scully's also been through a lot the last couple of years. I'm just saying. So Mulder says he spoke to Skinner and he knows that Scully is insistent about returning to work. But if her sister's death is and Scully interrupts and she says she needs something to put her back up against. And Mulder says he feels the same way. They both lost so much, but he believes what they're looking for is in the X-Files. And he's more certain than ever that the truth is out there. And Scully says, I've heard the truth. Now what I want are the answers. And he puts her arm around her and pulls her into a hug which is, it's sweet. It's also just, you know, I mean, they have both lost a lot. Like he lost his dad. He almost died. She has been kidnapped many, many times, including by some government system or aliens and has had medical experiments done in her. And now her sister's dead. Like, oh, they've both been through a lot. So it's good that they have each other and the X-Files, I guess. I mean, technically, They've both lost fathers and they've both lost sisters. Yes. Yeah. And they both kind of died and came back. Yep. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's been a rough couple of years. Oh, maybe they should think about opening a food truck or something. <laughs> I mean, maybe they should not just try burying their trauma with work and actually like try and work through some of the stuff they're dealing with. But therapy is expensive and hard. I mean, yes, you're not wrong. And then after executive producer Chris Carter, we get In Memoriam, Mario Mark Kennedy, 1966 to 1995. And Kennedy was a huge fan of the show. He organized online discussion sessions of the show, and he was well known in the fandom, and he died in a car accident. So they did this little thing for him, which was sweet. Yeah, second episode in a row, we've had In Memoriam, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Because last time it was the costume designer. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I have a question because I know you were like you were in the official fan club. Like, did you know this person or of this person? I don't think so. I mean, I might have if I don't I don't think like I think I'd probably heard of him maybe. And I definitely after I saw this, probably looked it up and figured out who he was. Okay. I had never, I didn't interact with him in any way. I wasn't a friend of his or anything. I may have been part of some of the discussions that he had organized or some if he had like a forum or something i might have been on there and read some of the stuff but like it's not like i knew him or anything so okay i was because i knew you you were like you were engaged online you went to shows yeah and so yeah i was just no, I, if you actually no like, personal if, connection at, at knew, all knew but, of him or something so, but it yeah. is i don't think i really did i might have heard his name you know randomly but like i didn't really know because yeah there was this weird time in the 90s where everyone like used their real name on the internet and then it switched over to like avatars and like screen names and people didn't really give out their real names. And now we're back to like Facebook and everything being tied to your real name. So it's just kind of weird that it cycled around like that. Yeah. I'm just excited because I mean, obviously what's going to happen now is that Albert is going to dictate all those files to Mulder. And so Mulder's going to have access to all those files and they're going to like wrap this up in like a couple episodes, probably like they're going to have to like pad it with some like months of the weeks, I think, but like, this is going to be taken care of because <laughs> they've got it, right? I mean, it's, it's... I mean, I think we can assume that Albert only saw a portion of the files and that Skinner is just straight up bluffing. But because uh, oh. I, th- there were a lot of files. I can't imagine that Albert would have been able to memorize all that and pass it along to 20 people. <laughs> 
I mean, the cigarette smoking man just can't be sure, right? Like he can't be sure that that's not true, but I don't think it actually is because he only ever saw the printouts of Scully hat and she did not have that many printouts. Hmm. Well, is my theory anyway. I mean, Crycheck still has the file. Crycheck does still have the file. And Cry- I know Crycheck will be back because I, re- I have one very specific memory of him. It's just like a flash, but like I know that that's coming. So I know he's coming back. Well, I know he, I don't know if he comes back before then. And I actually don't remember which episode number this one is, but he comes back in Apocrypha. Okay, right. that's probably what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But I haven't. Yeah, but I don't know if he appears yet. before that. And I know Apocrypha is part of a two parter. But I don't remember if it's the first part of a two-parter or the second part of a two-parter. Like I said, I, I know where everything goes now because I fell into that internet rabbit hole, read everything. I just don't have like I don't know like when like I could right. like oh that happens in this episode or whatever, or yeah, which is this, fine. Even happens in this season for a lot of stuff. But I just I know the general like I know where things are going. Yeah. So. I don't generally like surprises, but in TV I like surprises. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I still get surprises because, like I said, I don't know a lot of super detail i just know like i know the the arc of the entire right yeah so yeah also i have to say i noticed this last episode and then i paid attention to it this episode i think story editor is becoming the new producer tier because like maybe all the producer slots are already filled because there are like (laughs) three story editors and like or maybe they just needed a lot of story Well, I need to maybe get a couple more or at least maybe one more that does the job. So anyway, like I said, it's good work if you can get it. So, you know, if anyone wants to give me a call, I don't answer my phone. though. you have to text me or email me. So. Yeah. Also, I don't think you can work on the X-Files anymore. It could still come back. It could, although I think Jill, it's either Jillian Anderson or David. One of them has said they're not doing it. Again. Well, no, she has. And so Chris Carter was like, whoa. It can't happen without Jillian Anderson. Oh, yeah, you know, that he, makes he sense. He was happy to do it without David Duchovny. So, <laughs> yeah, you can't do it without Scully. It's her story. Yeah. I mean, you could you could reboot it with new actors. Like they don't do that with other stuff, and people complain yeah. about it. So, I honestly, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I imagine someday. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime. I imagine probably like 10, 15 years down the road, which would be in my lifetime. Let's hope. I would imagine someday there probably will be like some kind of X-Files reboot, whether it's just like a movie or a miniseries or something that's like with new actors. But I would imagine that it wouldn't be like the characters of Mulder and Scully. It would have to be like two different FBI agents and maybe them taking over the X-Files or something. Because I can't imagine the Phantom getting behind anyone else as Mulder and Scully. I I know. I think it could be Mulder and Scully. I, yeah, again, but I, I don't I've think said repeatedly. F- I think it could be anyone in these roles. I think people yeah. just you get attached to in them, yeah, and I, I get that. So I like you I know people think the like, fandom oh, would love thing. that. So but, I don't think that'll go very well. But I think they could. Well, maybe do it's not. Where... Maybe it's not for that fandom. Maybe the fandom can have this X Files, and new people can have new X Files. You know. Yeah, I mean, they could. They could try it. So. Would you would well. not not to like totally like start workshopping this, but I, I do have a question. So if you're if you were gonna do it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of other shows that happen in a time and place. You can't do them exactly if you do them in the modern time. So would it have to be a period piece, or would it be? Would you like like if you were gonna if you if they gave you say okay. you got the call and Chris Carter said Tori, you know what? I listen to your podcast. Nick is a dick, but I think you're good. 
and I trust you, and I'm going to let you reboot Next Files. You can do whatever you want. I trust your judgment. Oh, my God. Trust no one, Chris Carter. Trust no one. Well, um, we know that. We know that doesn't work <laughs> out. So, but would you make it modern or would you make it a period piece? Would you go and make it of the t- same time? So here's what I would do. I would make it set in like present day. I would have two agents who are working at the FBI and I would have them, maybe one of them stumbles into this closed off area of like the FBI building and just finds these like file cabinets of X-Files that are covered in plastic. (laughs) They have to be covered in plastic. They have to be. And old girly calendar on the wall. Oh, 100%. Oh Yeah. (laughs) No, there is definitely porn somewhere in that office. Okay. And there's, you know, like a wannabe lead poster. And the guy starts, maybe, maybe the guy's a skeptic this time. So the woman comes in and is like reading these files. And she's like, oh my gosh, like maybe something is related to something that happened to her family. So maybe a sibling went missing like Mulder, or maybe it's something different. Maybe it's some other paranormal experience, but there's a file that relates to that paranormal experience. So she is instantly drawn in. And she tells her partner about this file. And then, you know, as she's looking, maybe they're working some case that's kind of weird. And she maybe saw a different file that's related. So she pulls that out. And it turns out like some kind of squeezy type thing where it's not actually tombs, but like maybe it's isn't maybe it isn't related to that, but it's some kind of murder every so many years deal. And so she finds this file and that helps them solve the case. And then they go to whoever is in charge of the FBI now. And maybe it's Agent Mulder. I don't know <laughs> if no. David the company's willing. But no, 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 no. but anyway, they go to the yeah. Maybe he's not involved. But they go to the head of the FBI and they're like, "Hey, what are these files?" And they, you know, they're like, "Oh, that's nonsense. That was a project the FBI invested in the '90s and has decided is useless. And most of those things are junk." And it's like so Stephen she- Skinner. It's like Skinner's <laughs> kid or something. <laughs> And so anyway, eventually they they start working the X-Files kind of unofficially and then maybe they get it like officially sanctioned at some point and that would be the series. So it'd be these two and maybe at some point there's a cameo with Skinner, maybe there's a cameo with Mulder or Scully, but like it's a short little thing and like that's it. And so like there are all these nods to the original series. Okay, that's where I was asking. I was like, is this like a Ghostbusters afterlife thing or is this like a reboot? Where no, so it's related. related. It's the same okay. timeline, but okay. it would be like the Ghostbusters answer the call, which is the one with the ladies, where they would have lots of little references to the main cast. So, like, you would see things and you'd be like, "Oh, there's Max's hat," or you know what I mean. Like, there would be little little nods and callbacks. To the okay, but is series. is the 2016 Ghostbusters in the same universe? No, but they have a lot of little cameos and stuff from the original. Okay, cast. so there's like Easter little, eggs, but it's still little so, callbacks. Yeah. So I guess what like would your reboot be the same universe? Yes, it would be the same timeline. Okay, it would so be it would be after more, Mulder and Scully have. So retired. it would be more like Afterlife than yes, the 2016 yeah. Ghostbusters. Okay, gotcha. so that's what I would do if I were going to reboot the Ghostbusters. That's exactly I would have. Yeah, well, and the, the woman would be Mulder. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, let's reboot the Ghostbusters. I would do something totally different. Let's not even go there. But yeah, so if we're going to reboot the X-Files, that's what I would do. Uh, except they would switch you roles. You could bring the Ghostbusters into the X-Files universe. Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't. But, you know, and I would also they try to make the cast. Howard Graves by accident and have to go yeah. into the thing and get him out. And yeah. Yeah. 
And the new actors could be like, maybe at least one of them is a person of color, if not both. And then maybe make the cast a little more diverse and also try and be less racist when we talk about indigenous legends, if they come up, maybe get some indigenous writers on the staff so they can kind of work that stuff out in a better way. Anyhow, Mm. that's my X-Files reboot. I don't know how we got off in this tangent. Call me Chris Carter. Let's do this. Yeah. Lock agrees. (laughs) My cat agrees. My cat is on board. He will need um, key grip position (laughs) and uh, he can't carry anything though. So that'll be awkward, but it's cool. (laughs) He has ideas. My cat can be the intern. He has ideas. <laughs> anyway. He can be a producer. He can producer <laughs> he, can, he can be a producer for sure. And Nick All can right. be a story editor or a script supervisor to make sure we don't keep screwing up dates and numbers. Yeah. I, Chris Carter will not let me be involved at all, probably. I'm <laughs> got to sign that. It'll be like an NDA. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> but we'll figure something out. So I guess we need to rate this episode. Oh, yeah. Okay. Before we totally go off the rails. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of tangent. Anyway. Oh, now I need to write some fan fiction about X-Files Next Generation. I've got it all in my head. Um, Locke could be in the office. Yeah, and he could like be the knocks, office cat. And knocks over something that like opens a file that's like, oh, my God, look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, I really like Paperclip. I think it's a great episode. Again, like Anasazi, I think they're the better parts of the story. And I think Blessing Way is just kind of that saggy middle that happens sometimes. The scenes with Skinner and the Cigarette Smoking Man are gold. I think those are great. I love the conspiracy. I love that they've come up with some stuff. I do I do wish they'd taken some of those files and gotten more information on maybe what happened to Scully. But I know that's going to come up more. So I guess they'll find out the hard way. Yeah, they uh, did drop the ball on. I couldn't even make a hard copy because Scully had hard copies. I know. I'm not sure what happened. Took there. him to the Navajo Nation office and had formerly yeah, Gwen look at them. You know, Yeah, they had that woman look at them and then Albert yeah. read them. So, yeah, anyway, I don't know what's going on there. I guess probably because someone was like, well, why don't they just make a copy? <laughs> and I actually read an article with Darren Morgan recently about episode four, which we'll talk about when we get to episode four. But in that article he mentions how they didn't have like a real writer's room like you would think. So it wasn't like they were sitting around a table pitching ideas and someone went home with the script. What would happen is you would pitch an idea, you would write the script and then you would hand it over and everyone else would look over it and make notes. And like, then you would kind of workshop it afterward instead of workshopping the idea first. And so I'm sure somebody at some point was like, uh, Chris, they can just make a copy of the file. Why do they have to hand it over? And so he was like, oh, yeah. well, it's protected. You can't copy it yeah. or print it. No, we <laughs> talked about, I think you I think you linked to it on social media. And then I put a link to it in our show notes at one point. But Strange Arrivals had the interview with Chris Carter. Yes. And so it's yeah. like at the, end, at the end of the series, they do a thing where they just like give you the interviews they did without any... I don't know if they still cut them. They probably still cut them either they, or either that or they don't talk to the people for very long, but you know, time is money. Who knows? But actually in the series itself, when they use some of that Chris Carter interview stuff that they have separately at the end, they do talk to my buddy, my man, Glenn Morgan. And in addition to Chris Carter, like making some of the things I have said, correct, by the way, just so people know, about the show he also makes some things correct that i said about what you just said like that they were just like coming up with shit off the top of their heads sometimes yeah and have to like figure out how to make it work and didn't have like an actual like beyond like 
this pilot and like the like two or three episodes they were currently working on they didn't actually have like any long-term like plan for what was going on yeah and it wasn't actually until like jillian anderson's pregnancy that they were like oh crap we need to start like figuring some stuff out ahead of time yeah because yeah and darren was saying like darren morgan was saying similar stuff that they would just like come up with the idea and then write the script but like they would just have to like then work things through after it was written which is like sometimes they just have to fix things as they go yeah he Um, literally actually says like it's not how things are now when you've got like entire seasons planned out ahead of time yeah it's like we had like an idea for one episode and they gave us a series and then we had to figure out what to do so which does yeah. happen, but I think now because things are so much more like streaming platform and you have like, okay, you're getting 10 episodes, you know, mm-hmm. or two seasons, and then you know you can kind of plan ahead better. Yeah, so I, I will relink to both of those episodes in the show notes for this one as well. Yeah. The separate Chris Carter interview and then the episode where they talk to both of them. Yeah, and then we'll link to that Darren Morgan interview at the end of Clyde Bruckman, although it does have spoilers for Clyde Bruckman and for later in the series, which I was... Did not know until I read. Well, that's fine because we won't link to it until we do that episode. So yeah, well, it has it. it has spoilers for after that episode too. But I'll just warn people that it's got spoilers. Oh. Anyway, why am I talking about that? We're not there yet. We're talking know. about paperclip. And so, your rating. You hadn't given us a number yet. Yeah. So I'm going to go with an eight. I think this is a solid myth arc episode. Okay. I think it's really good. I'm kind of docking at a point for the racism and paper thing how they can't print things out but um because otherwise it would be a nine but i think it's pretty solid it's good myth arc i think it's a good ending to the story that they started on anasazi and i think it's way better than the blessing way and they did wrap some stuff up like we did find out now for sure as was hinted at that bill Mulder is the one who made the decision to have samantha be taken and also knew that was going to happen which is pretty horrible and We've learned that Skinner can bluff the cigarette smoking man and that the cigarette smoking man just lies. He just lies. The cigarette smoking man has really had the tables turned on him. Yes, a little bit. He's yeah. lost a lot of his power and control over things. So, so. I'm sure that's not going to come back to bite anybody at all. Yeah. Well, and also we just found that he's not the dude in charge. He's part of a group of dudes in charge. Mm-hmm. So... And then he is regularly lying to to seem yeah, like he's got things under control when he does not setbacks that he's recently had so all right so that would be for the three parters for tory that is an eight a five and an eight yeah that sounds Boom. about right forward backward same thing all right yeah. that's an average of i can't do that math right now seven okay an yeah and that sounds about right yeah for this little yeah. three episode arc yep that is an average of seven. All right. So what's Nick going to do? He complained a lot. <laughs> I'm going to give it a nine. No, I'm kidding. I'm not <laughs> One of these days, man, you're going to whip it out. and be like, whoa, I thought you hated so, everything, but you loved it. So here's the thing. <laughs> I was going to give it a five. But then I went because I thought I gave Anastasi a five and I didn't. I gave Anastasi a seven. So I'm going to give this a seven by default because I feel like I have to. So we get the same forward backward action because then mine's a seven to seven. Yeah. Book ended. Yeah. Which my number is not as clean as yours. Mine's like a 5.33333, I believe. So. Well, 
The next episode is not myth arc, so we'll get a little break from that. So I have a game to play, but we're going to play it next episode. Ooh, games. Games are fun. Yeah. So I'm not going to tell you what the game is yet or listeners, but I do have a game to play for next episode. Yay. Well, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Well, thanks for sticking with us for the three-parter and for three seasons. Well, I guess you haven't stuck with us for three seasons yet. This is the third season. So into the third season that's pretty solid thanks you guys rock i should stop i'm trying to stop saying you guys i'm trying to use more gender neutral language and i just i cannot get you guys out of. i mean there are linguistic arguments that guys has become gender neutral but and i've always sort of thought of it that way i'm from california we say hella we say all sorts of stupid stuff (laughs) but i'm just trying to like I keep saying it and the, you know it's like one of those things when you know you should you're like trying to stop doing something and you just notice it way more so that's just something I'm working on but I keep saying it anyway so it's um, I'm working on it whatever dude <laughs> yeah. I did that on purpose yeah dude anyway. is another one in California where we are very just liberal with the use of dude <laughs> It's a verb. It's a noun. It's, I, I think I have heard it as a verb. So, yeah. Oh, I'm anyway. pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's shut it down. All right. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and edited by Lazy M Productions, also known as Nick. That's right. We made this. Or I guess I made this. I edited this anyway. So be sure to join us next time as we rewatch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 3. Cool. D-P-O. And try to figure out if the the truth truth is still out there. Trust no one. The truth is what we make of it. and scully trust no one although they do trust skinner a lot in this episode scully does yeah scully does but i mean even Mulder, they call him right well scully trusts skinner and Mulder trusts scully yeah that's That's how i think that it's how i think that works yeah so you gotta trust somebody so by implication he trusts skinner yeah Oh, so do you, know right. what, do you know what DPO is yet? Do you know what that means? That's the game we're playing. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't know if you I knew don't. Okay. I don't. No, gotcha. I don't.
I came up with two that are pretty, like, I think almost anybody would come up with them. Okay. Um, dead people only. Ooh. And that's depressed a good one. people only. Yeah. And then I'm really trying to come up with some that don't end in only, which is really hard. <laughs> trying to think so, of some, and I can't really think of any. Don't yeah. poke octopuses. Oh. There we go. Yeah. Too bad it's not M. I could tell Scully not to poke monkeys. <laughs> God, I love that. I love. <laughs> I just love it so much. It makes me happy. Whenever I'm sad, I just think about Skelly putting her finger in a monkey cage. Oh God! And then looking just total like when he's like, "What are you doing? Don't touch my monkeys!" And she's just like, "Oh, <gasps> it's like total like." But what do you mean? Don't touch the monkeys. monkeys. The monkeys are cute. Okay, they're cute. I mean, I did not get kicked out of the zoo. So I will say oh that I behaved. 